0: Hello, listen and welcome to Adventist Already, Radio, the voice of hope. Thank you so much for finding time to join me. I'm your presenter, Samuel Mahangi. Lydia Aching is on standby with the Family Life segment. Today, she will talk about Before Conflict Arises. Brother Ian will also be joining us during the Bible segment. Today, he will talk about Procrastinating Your Salvation. Stay tuned for this and some songs to store for you. Here's a song, My Eyes Have Seen the Glory. Gracious singers, I have seen the
1: glory of the glory of oh the, oh the Lord. He is something of blood, the painted where the breath of God has gone. He has no Hey!
0: This is a new life program coming to you from Adventist World Radio, the voice of hope. Get ready to listen to Lydia Ching with the Family Life segment. Be blessed.
2: dear listener, welcome to today's Family Life program. Today we're going to talk about before conflict arises. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for today's marriage message. We pray that it may affect our lives for the better. Help us to honor you in our marriages. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The best place to start dealing with conflict is before a conflict arises. That's right. Before a conflict arises, Every couple has their own combination of attitudes, emotions, and circumstances that set them up for conflict. But most couples are totally unaware of what they are. As you identify the factors that precede your most frequent conflicts, you'll discover a goldmine of insights to help you deal more effectively with those conflicts once they arise. That quote was written by Gary and Carrie Oliver, who wrote a wonderful book titled Mad About Us we're going to share with you several quotes and seven steps to dealing with conflict contained within this book. They have a lot more to say that would be helpful if you could read it, but we're giving you what we but we're giving you what we can, hoping it will be a good start to dealing with your own areas of of conflicts with each other and those of you who can obtain the book in Kindle version may want to do so in order to learn more. In an edited version they write Regardless of the severity of conflict, we found that constructive conflict management is always easier when you have a plan. We've worked with hundreds of couples who have told us that the following seven steps have helped them turn conflict from something they feared to an opportunity to increase understanding and intimacy. Step one, identify the issue, pray, listen, and seek understanding. Remember this, you will never resolve what you don't understand. Human nature dictates that it is virtually impossible to accept advice, let alone criticism, from someone unless you feel that they are trying to understand you. If you want your spouse to understand you, the starting place is for you to take the initiative in understanding them. Answering the following questions will help you better understand and define the issue. Whose issue is it? What kind of issue is it? Is there more than one issue involved? Most people have spent hours engaged in conflict that involved several issues. It's hard enough to manage one issue. It's almost impossible to deal with several issues at the same time. If there is more than one issue, decide which is the most urgent, which is most important. What order should we take what order should we take them in? If you can't agree, then choose the least volatile issue first. If you can't agree on that, then just flip a coin. Yes, that may sound silly, but we've been flipping coins for years and it works. What is my spouse's core concern? A critical part of defining an issue is to take time to understand the heart and the perspective of your spouse. In fact, this may be one of the greatest contributions healthy conflict makes to the growth of intimacy in a marriage. The Bible has a lot to say about the power of seeking understanding. Proverbs 4.7 says, Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Listening is one of the most powerful intimacy builders in any relationship because listening leads to understanding. That's why James exhorts us to be quick to listen, slow to speak in James chapter 1 verse 19. When you choose to listen to another person, you're saying that you value them and their concerns and that they are worth taking the time to understand. An open ear is the sure sign of an open heart. What is my core concern? After you've chosen to listen, hear, and understand your spouse, it will be important for you to identify and clarify your own core concern. Once you define the problem and before going further, commit this specific conflict as well as your desire to deal with conflict in a healthier and more mature manner to God in prayer. In in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17, we are encouraged to pray without ceasing. Step 2. How important is it? Is it a high ticket or a low ticket item? Once you've defined the issue, the next step is to determine just how important it is. Many of the conflicts in marriage can be traced to personal idiosyncrasies, minor annoyances or passing irritations. Researchers tell us that only 31% of a couple's major continuing disagreements are about issues that they will be able to resolve. The rest, 69%, are about irresolvable, perpetual problems, that is, fundamental differences in personalities or basic needs that will never get resolved but that we need to learn how to manage and deal with. Some differences demand confrontation, while others are simply a part of living with someone else. We all have our frustrating annoyances and so do our spouses. It's just that ours seem so much less weird than theirs. Before you allow an issue to consume too much of your time, ask yourself, how important is this? Step 3. Ask yourself, what is my contribution to the problem? It's amazing that whenever there's a conflict, we usually have little difficulty identifying our spouse's contribution to the problem, but we can be but we can be substantially blinded to our own. It's fascinating how very clear many of us can be about how they need to change, what they could do differently, and how they could listen better. It's fascinating how very clear many of us can be about how they need to change, what they could do differently, and how they could listen better. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 12 tells us, It is a badge of honor to accept valid criticism. Those are sound words. Listen to what the other person has to say. Even if 90% of what they are saying is invalid, look for the 10% that might be true. Look for even the 1% that God could use in your life to help you deepen and mature into a mature Christian woman or man. Step 4. Do I need to apologize or ask for forgiveness? As you think and pray through the third step, you may become aware of something you have done that you need to apologize or ask forgiveness for. Early in our marriage, I learned I could be right, but go about being right in a wrong or an unhealthy way. In the intensity of an emotional discussion, it's easy to say things or do things or express ourselves in a tone of voice that discounts and wounds our partner. Over the next few years, I discovered that there were some things I needed to apologize for. My intentions had been good, but my words had wounded the person I loved the most. Step five, choose radical responsibility. Radical responsibility is our way of saying that we need to take personal responsibility to choose what we can do differently and not wait around for our spouse to do something different. It means that we make a a unilateral decision regardless of what our spouse chooses to say or do, to seek wisdom and understanding in dealing with conflict, regardless of the habits you saw growing up and those that may have characterized you for most part of your life, you can teach yourself to take radical responsibility to listen, to understand, to accept, to be kind, to be patient, to forgive, and to love even when your partner may not be making the same choice. In fact, we are most like our Lord Jesus Christ when we love in this kind of situation. Step six, choose what you both can do differently. At this point, you are working on identifying a mutually acceptable solution. Be sure to set aside ample time for discussion and prayer. Find a quiet place with no interruptions. Take the phone off the hook. Take the, phone, take the phone off the hook. Remember that this step involves choosing to bargain some of your personal needs for some of your relationship needs. Many couples have found it helpful to read 1 Corinthians 13 aloud before entering into the discussion. Step 7. Pray about it. Do it and review it. We hope this has been helpful for you. Even if your spouse won't approach conflict in a healthy way, we encourage you to ask the Lord to show you how you can personally grow in this area of your marriage as one who exemplifies the attitude and actions of Jesus Christ our Lord. We thank Marriage Missions International for providing this material. Until next time, God bless you.
0: You are tuned to Adventist All Radio, the voice of hope. This is your presenter, Samuel Mwangi. A producer would love to have your thoughts about this program. Please send them to the producer, Adventist All Radio, P.O. Box 42276, 76 100 in Nairobi, Kenya, or email us through awnairobi at ek.adventist.org Let us now listen to Grosha Singers with the song, My Heart Can Sing. It is another opportunity to get some spiritual nourishment from Brother Ian Mose. Welcome.
3: I greet you in the name of Jesus, dear listener, and welcome to our study today. The topic of our study is Procrastinating Your Salvation. In other words, not accepting your salvation today. The Bible gives us another striking illustration of the close of the door of mercy of a certain city. The city was to be wiped out of existence because of its total abandonment to the perversions of iniquity. On the eve of its destruction, Lot made a final visit to his daughters and their sodomite husbands who had made their home in the midst of the doomed city. But his urgent pleas were ridiculed as groundless fierce. The Bible records that he seemed as one that mocked unto his son's in-law. Genesis chapter 19 verse 14 They actually laughed at the old man as he wept over their unconcern. How different it would have been had they known that it was indeed a judgment message from God. Eagerly they would have responded and hastened out of Sodom had they truly believed that it was their last night on earth. But they didn't know, and they didn't believe. Most of us will never recognize when the fatal moment approaches in our own lives. Many are snatched by sudden accident and death without a second's notice, much less a 24-hour alert. But suppose you did know that you had exactly two months, or two weeks, or two days. I've heard people say, oh, if I had that knowledge ahead of time, I could easily give up all my bad habits and make my decision to follow Christ fully. Of course, but the truth is that none of us are privy to that information. And for many who are reading these lines, that last night is much nearer than we can think or imagine. How very clever Satan is in exploiting this personal area of the unknown in each one of us. He well recognizes that procrastination is his most effective weapon in causing people to be lost. The longer the decision is postponed, the easier it is to wait a little longer, until finally the putting-off process turns into a little addiction. The will waxes weaker and weaker as delay saps the initiative and makes it less and less likely that the individual will act before it is too late. The Bible has some very sobering things to say about this subject of lingering over the call of God. When Paul reasoned with Felix about righteousness and judgment, we are told that the governor trembled and promised to call for Paul when he had a more convenient season. The better time never came, and as far as we know, Felix went down into a Christless grave at the end of his life. King Agrippa was also deeply convicted as he listened to Paul's testimony about Christ. He cried out, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Acts chapter 26 verse 28. What a tragedy that, with all the trembling and conviction, neither of the Roman rulers actually moved to obey what they knew to be right. Almost is not enough. It is sometimes the case that individuals are faced with choices that must be made within a few minutes which will affect the entire future direction of their lives. In these rare instances, and perhaps, They are not as rare as you think, that golden moment of opportunity flashes into focus, remains only a few precious moments, and then disappears forever. It seems patently true that Felix and Agrippa faced the most significant and favorable opportunity to choose life over death, and they blew it. They waited too long, and the conviction faded and disappeared. Men and women do the same thing today they wait for more convenient circumstances, a different job, retirement or financial security. They make promises to themselves and others that they will surrender to Christ and obey the truth just as soon as the time is right. Somebody else, Satan, hears those promises and immediately begins to manipulate events that will make that right moment impossible. Those people keep waiting and waiting and waiting. And many of them will be waiting when the water turns to blood and probation's door has closed on the human race. No wonder the Bible declares that now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. When the flood came and the door of the ark closed, it did not matter how near or how far a person happened to be at that moment. Those who were one foot outside that door were just as lost as those who were miles away. After 120 years of pleading, the Spirit of God was withdrawn from the earth. The hand of God closed the door. And the fate of our world was fixed and settled. Does that have anything to do with what is happening to the progeny of those eight ark survivors today? Indeed, it does. Because Jesus said, As the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Matthew chapter twenty-four, verse thirty-seven. Christ was referring to the end time in which we now live. He said, So shall it be. Are there similarities with the antediluvian culture and lifestyle? We are told that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 Does that appraisal of man before the flood match the perverted picture of Noah's modern descendants? For the answer to that question, consult your morning newspaper and the local TV guide. Iniquity is rampant. Crime is out of control terrorists strike in unexpected places. No one would question that evil imagination marks the present age with its harvest of violence and lawlessness. Is there also evidence that the Holy Spirit is striving with the human hearts and confronting multitudes with their final invitation of mercy? As an evangelist, I can bear witness that there is a present raging controversy revolving around every living soul. Some who are reading these words are on the verge of making a decision that can mean life or death. And at the same time, Satan plays upon your ungrounded fears to try to hold you back from an all-out commitment. You are being tempted, like Felix, to wait for a more convenient season, but such will never come. To linger now is to become a part of the vast majority who are destroyed in the flood and who represent those who will be unprepared when Jesus comes again. Just as the probation of the antediluvian world ended seven days before the flood, so the probation of the planet will close seven plagues before Jesus appears. During those desolating and time seven last plagues, the Bible says no one can enter the temple in heaven. Revelation chapter 15 verse 8. There will be no intercessor for the human race. The great edict will have gone forth. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly. Revelation 22 verse 11 to 12. Millions are waiting in the vain hope that some special event will signal that they can quickly make the necessary preparation to meet the returning Lord. Like Felix, they intend to take advantage of that more convenient season. And while they linger, their hearts grow harder and their wills more indecisive. They lose the precious ability to judge their own need or discern the panoramic signs of the end. Friend, we are living at the blink of eternity and soon and very soon, our savior is to descend with all his angels to reward every man according to his works. On which side shall you be when he separates the goats from the sheep? Thank you, dear listener. And I was your presenter, Ian Muse.
0: That brings us to the end of our program for today. I hope that you've been blessed. We'd like to have your views, comments, or questions about the program. Kindly write to the producer, Adventist All Radio, P.O. Box 42276, code 100 in Nairobi, Kenya, or email us through awnairobi at ek.adventist.org. Join me next time, same place, same time, but until then, may our good Lord keep you safe. I've been your presenter, Samuel Mangi.